Greetings, gentle listener, and welcome to Remote Operations. Remote Operations is a podcast series made during lockdown by the social agency Stoke on Trent's art based support group for autistic and learning disabled adults living in the city and surrounding areas. But you don't have to be from Stoke to listen, it's for everyone. Well, except them in Newcastle on the line. They'd probably be happier with an episode of some partial like the Archers. Only kidding, Doc. Enjoy. Hello, it's me, Jim Hype, your showbiz reporter to the stars. And now for the last in our series of revelatory interviews with the social agency and their collections, but by no means the least. When I heard about John and his disco lights, I was mesmerised. I just had to get the story. Trust me. To get a bigger coup than this, you'd need to overthrow a small country. Here is that report from our guest reporter, Saul Hewish, that you won't hear anywhere else. So, John, could you tell me, what is your collection? Disco arts, mainly. I thought I'd try something else than cars. What was it that drew you to disco lights? I just like the lights, that's all. <laughs> just the colours. Was this how they activate towards the sound. They pick the bass up off the speakers. Have you got a favourite light, John? These two wooden ones. I spotted them on eBay and a while back. I was like, mm. I'll get them. See what they're like. They're just uh, traffic light ones, aren't they, really? Four in each. Red, yellow and green and blue. All a mixture. And why do you like these the best? Because of the cloth they got on. I thought they'd come like scratched or, you know, uh, something missing, but they didn't. Do you mind telling me how much they cost? 150. Well, was 100 and... We've gone down to 120. And can you tell me about some of the other lights that you've got here? Down to the described as pancake lights, and I saw they were described as. They didn't do anything with the music, just the, the colours. And what about that one out at the end there? But, oh, the mirror one? Yeah. Says a good light, but that's a full of heat. Have you got any lasers, John? Uh, I have actually. It's on that speaker behind you. This? Yeah, it's got a built-in laser grid. Well, it's just, um, my mum and dad got me for Christmas, because I've seen it on eBay. And uh, I thought, I'll, I'll get one. Mum and dad got it me. And it's LEDs with a standard laser grid. I only bought just for the, for the laser. It's all built-in. And that's, Thing around the outside that's a, like a little strobe in the middle of the middle part a little bit and they just standard lights but it's LED. It just reminds me as I look at it it's a bit like something out of um, a sci-fi <laughs> yeah transformers or something mm. like that. No I thought mm. looks like it looks weird I've never seen one uh, I haven't seen one since on eBay. When do you like to use your lights? 
Well, I don't do it at night, I do it during the day. <laughs> I suppose at night when you've got neighbours, they don't want to hear it. Especially when they're below you. Do they use a lot of power? The LED ones don't know. Is there a difference, do you think, John, between the type of light you get from an LED and the type of light you get from a more traditional... They're probably more brighter than standard LED. So the old-fashioned ones are brighter. Mm. And with LED, they knock down the power a bit. Well, save on the bill. Are there any lights that you've got your eye on at the moment? Um, well, with this stand, I can add more on it. So could you explain to the listeners what, what we're looking at here? A heavy-duty metal stand. And how many lights have we got on it? Eight at the minute, but it can take more. Are there any lights that you're looking at at the moment on eBay? I've seen a couple. I've seen a 3D one. A 3D light? Yeah. Like, you know some lights where they just stay to the same pattern? On this one it does different pattern but it brings it out more. Is there anything else that you'd like in here to kind of add to your collection of lights? Well, I could but I can't set it up fully that stand. That's only half of it. So you'd like a, a taller room or...? It would need a lot taller room. What does your collection of lights do for you? This makes me a happy sort of thing. Give me a little world and just gives me a bit of entertainment. Hello listeners, it's me, apathetic reporter Branson Boredom bringing apathy to every situation. Well, let's take a listen to what's coming to your streaming platforms and socially distanced cinemas. Or we could listen to the sound of paint drying. Oh. Okay. Here we go with famous actors in the wrong film. Roll sound, please, team. This summer, Norman Bates is a man under pressure. He's trying to run a motel, but the guests are driving him cray-cray. I say, Bates, can we have the test match on the old goggle box, what? He's got to dump Janet Lee's car in the swamp. And on top of that, he's got a dead mother who just won't leave him alone. Norman, what are you doing down there? Nothing, dear. John Cleese is Norman Bates in Psycho Rebooted. Right! Right! I've laid it on the line to you time and time again! Well, don't say I haven't warned you! Get in that shower! You're gonna get a right good thrashing! Don't mention the car! Coming to a socially distant cinema near you soon. Well, that trailer just has me giddy. With excitement. Speaking of giddy with excitement, here is my colleague, Erwin Irony. 
We sent him an advanced copy of the film and he is going to review it for you. So I was about to watch the film you sent me, but I saw the freakiest thing! There were like four or five rich people sat in a line, and then poor people would come into the room where the rich people were, and they'd tell the rich people an idea they had for a new drink! Or cat litter, or orthopedic shoe. And the poor people were really nervous, and sometimes they forget what they were saying and cry. But here's the really weird bit. If they liked the idea, one of the rich people would give them money for the idea! Imagine that! Oh, and that was an episode of Dragon's Den. Yeah! That's it! Dragon's Den! But it was so freaky because there weren't any dragons in it. Greetings, dear listener. This is the voice of Professor Simon Schnitzel. Once again, let us delve deep into the mind of a member of the social agency to discover their hopes, their onions, ambitions! I said ambitions! Let's hear this week's imagined biography. Then I will analyze the subject while you take notes. So, without further ado, I present to you, gentle listener, Michael Bond. Good evening. Today we are looking at the life of a man who has had an enormous impact on the world as it is today. A renaissance man, a household name, and yet still somehow staggeringly overlooked. Historians pretend to not know who he is. Academics stubbornly refuse to teach about him on the national curriculum. And yet, Michael Bond cast a shadow over the world so vast that there are still people in some countries who can only see him through a pinhole camera. It is so tiny! Michael Bond, or as is written on his birth certificate, Michael, haha, hee hee, ho ho, oh, stop tickling me, oh, now look what you made me write, Bond, was born in a North Staffordshire hospital on the 14th of September, 1988. A breech baby with a birthmark in the shape of a pentadodecahedron, the hospital staff recognised that someone truly special was born on the night he emerged pink, wrinkly, and asking for a Wi-Fi password. Unfortunately, his mother was out at the time he was delivered, so they had to leave a note saying he had been left with a neighbour. All in all, Michael did not enjoy the experience and opted never to be born there again. He had a happy childhood, Growing up with his sister, Laura, remember to ring back Sandra, 01782-867-367. At an early age, they promised each other that when they grew up, they would put the world to rights, starting with the obvious lack of scrap paper in the Department of Births, Deaths and Marriages. Clearly, Michael was a child with a great future ahead of him. At the age of five, he already spoke four languages. Three of them were of his own devising, but it was a start. But it was at school where his promise really started to show. Upon arrival, he was immediately accepted by his peers. On the first day, a group of boys were kind enough to show him where the toilets were, hanging him upside down so he could get a better look. They pulled his pants up to his waist to make sure they were securely fitted and gave him impromptu boxing lessons that he didn't even have to ask for. They even took charge of his financial matters, 
relieving him of his lunch money to put towards future investments. Michael quickly realised that acting was his true calling. His talent was amply displayed through his participation in school productions, playing pivotal roles such as over-talkative blacksmith in Puss in Boots, Man Who Knocks Over the Barricade in Les Miserables, and Stagehand Who Offers Advice to Ebenezer Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. Just a little bit of advice. Try not to be so mean. He even had the chops for Shakespeare. He won acclaim for Macbeth and Richard III, and no audience could forget when he gave them his bottom. He was in good stead, therefore, to progress to parts in television commercials, whether that be the before picture in an acne cream advert, or going method in acquiring halitosis for a mouthwash promotion. He left a definite impression on everyone he met. By the time it came for him to be hit by a car in a road safety film, people were queuing up to volunteer to be the driver. Meteor parts in proper TV dramas followed. His portrayal of a youth who couldn't keep off the grass resulted in some very good notices. All eyes were on him when he used the wrong knife in Downton Abbey, and when Netflix cast him as a man with out-of-control hay fever, he was streaming everywhere. <coughs> the beckoning of Hollywood was inevitable. Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, Peter Jackson, he made contact with them all and after lengthy negotiations in Los Angeles, he came away with a historic contract that all three of them had signed. No, you couldn't ask for a more star-studded restraining order than that. And when it came to his first Hollywood role, he couldn't ask for more exposure. There was no cinema-goer who didn't see him, none who didn't hear him as he delivered his crucial lines. Yes, you guessed it, it was Michael Bond who told you to put away your mobile phones and sang Let's All Go to the Lobby. He also gave an eye-catching performance in the film Running with Scissors in 3D IMAX. He complimented his acting jobs with work behind the camera, and his success in the industry could be counted in the number of awards he won. A film in which he yelled out after hitting his thumb with a hammer netted him a Best Foreign Language Film nomination. His quick-thinking decision to prop up a table leg with a bread bap won him Best Supporting Role. Oh, a brilliant improvised collaboration in which the director threw a script at him from across the room even ended up winning Best Animated Screenplay. Truly a well-respected member of the industry. Michael is retired from acting these days. He's returned to his hometown of Biddulph, England, to start work on his first fiction novel. And if it's anything like his autobiography that was serialised over 47 editions of the Biddulph Chronicle, we could be in for a treat. Hmm. Very interesting. Revealing. Poignant, even. My analysis is... Excuse me, gentle listener. I must get the door. Hello, son. I'm Detective Inspector Canterbury. We've had reports of a ten-year-old boy posing as a professor. 
wouldn't know anything about that, would you? Um... No, sir. Well, dear listener, I'm afraid the analysis of this week's imagined biography will have to wait. So stay safe, keep it onion, and I'll see you in your dreams. You have been listening to Remote Operations, created and performed by the Social Agency. Appearing in today's podcast, we had Roger Fitzherbert, Mike Bond, Saul Hewish, John, Robbie Nichols, Adam Paul, Ed Gorn, and Rebecca Pan. Remote operation was produced by Saul Hewish and Ed Gorn. Original music was written and performed by Toby White with Cole Poynton. Emily Andrews was our social media executive and the artwork was by Robert Millward. We have also had all the support from the arts. Recording was under lockdown restrictions. Remote operation was made possible with funding from Arts Council England and the National Emergency Trust which was administered by the Community Foundation for Staffordshire. The social agency is a product of Rideout.